0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for June 21st, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. (laughs) And mine's Evan Kelly. (laughs) And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today?
1: Well, Joe, we're going to have a couple of discussions today. And uh, we're going to try to consider different issues from different sides, you know, not not try to be intellectually monolithic. Instead, what we're going to do is make sure that we keep our discussions in good faith and do our damnedest to keep ourselves and our audience adequately informed.
0: Yeah. You know, we ain't one of them shows that shows up on the block and tells you, hey, this is how you need to think. That Think like us. And only if you think like us, then then maybe you'll be worth something in this world. No, we believe that there are other ways you can think that can be valid. No, can be valid. and That are valid. Yeah, definitive. And, <laughs> you know, we, we're not on the Avery Tower. We don't know everything. And we don't have the only perspective that matters. So, and with that, hey, Evan. Yeah. What do you want to talk about um well we got a couple
1: of things brewing today so let's start on a discussion of the experience of community how it's sort of represented how that representation may be different or true to life um so this is sparked in me by our recent discussion of mayor of east town as well as a film that I watched recently, In the Heights. And yes, we are aware of the, the viewer mail, Michael, and we will address your specific query in next week's episode. We want to make sure that we have enough time. Foreshadowing. Ooh, yes. Maybe we plan these things more than four hours in advance. Oh. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so... In in a movie like In the Heights or in a show like Mayor of East Town, I'm struck by the way that these characters exist within community. It seems as though There's our central group, and this isn't just limited to these shows, but is sort of, um, you know, just I think how we're, we're shown communities in general. There's a central group of people, and then these people sort of fluidly and spontaneously interact across locations within a central geography. So in in the heights you have the same group of people who always show up at the bodega and they're also at the barrio dance-off and they're at the pool when it gets hot and they're at the salon and it's just these this nuclear group of people who seem to be able to have like i said these spontaneous casual interactions or in mayor of east town you know mayor and Or the people who she went to high school with, they kind of go to the same bars and they're at the high school basketball game and they're at the cookouts together. And it all seems so fluid and so effortless. And it all seems to revolve around certain important community nodes. And I've been reflecting on this and I'm realizing that I've never really had any sort of experience like this In my own life don't get me wrong I I feel like I have a very strong social network uh, full of people who love me but I I feel like the people who I kind of see in my day-to-day interactions are not the same people that I make dedicated plans to hang out with and there's not a lot of cross-pollination either so I've got some friends of mine and we do certain things and then I have maybe another group that I'll see in another location and I just want to know why this is. And I definitely want to get your thoughts on it, Joe. As someone who's lived in a certain community for longer with stronger social ties, is my feeling of ennui just a result of my peripatetic nature? Is it due to the growing importance of digital spaces in our social interactions? Or is it just poor media representation? What What's going on here, Joe? Help, help me break this down.
0: Well, I think it, it's really hard to get that sense of community as a transplant., um, it, it, you know, when I've lived life as a transplant, it, it's really hard to. but then but then also it feels like so I, I would say that I live in a sense of community now. you know, I moved back to the hometown. I have my friends that I see and then I go to places and through my friends and the social ties that they have, I am then able to meet new people and have more casual acquaintanceship with people that is a little bit more meaningful than just seeing the same person a number of times. like, Mm -hmm. And... I, I think it, it, it really is something where it kind of builds out and also like being able to have, in a way, intimate time with people, like um, even for people that you don't know, like, you know, after. So we record this show on Saturdays, um, Saturday midday. And then normally what I go and do after this is go see my friend at a bar he tends. And, you know, I through going there enough times, I have also, through this friend, been able to become an acquaintance to the regulars at that bar on the slow Saturday afternoon. And it's like you have to have close relationships where from there people you're able to meet other people, but within the context of the people that you know, and it's not just some sort of blindly know, you know, trying to strike up a conversation with people. Like, I feel like that's super hard and that's what we expect making friendships and building community is. Whereas like for the people who have it, it's through knowing people And then meeting other people through the people you know, and it can kind of have a, you know, uh, uh, an effect where you could just all of a sudden know a whole lot more people through the people that you already know.
1: That's a really interesting take, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. Um, Because I think that that's not something that you really think about it. Maybe it's not something that I really thought about when I was sort of mapping out my life and envisioning what it would be like. Um, because, you know, what, what hope is there then for transplants? How do you, how do you kind of get a foothold without um, a, a close personal tie already embedded within the community? Do you think that through just enough time and effort there's a way to do that or is it sort of a a losing proposition
0: well i think you can do it but i i think it definitely hinges on the being able to spend somewhat uh like have a little bit of intimate time with people and it doesn't mean like you know trying to be romantic or or you know stuff like that but just like so You know, when I lived in Kenosha, I was a transplant and I had a very hard time building any sort of community there because mostly because of my hours and, you know, the weird schedule that I was working. But then also because I'm not someone who is super great at forcing myself into social scenarios where I am just completely blind. I don't know anybody. But I was able to develop a little bit of a community at the people who worked at the diner that I like to go to a lot. Um, You know, I was a regular at a diner and, you know, if it had been that, you know, it was a you know, let's say like, like if it was a Perkins, you know, where you go sit at some table somewhere and, you know, you're kind of in the middle of the room, then the wait staff kind of comes up to you whenever, or, you know, if it's not busy or even if it is busy, then, you know, you're just getting a small sliver of these people's time. And even if you went there a lot, you probably wouldn't develop a whole lot of community there. Whereas this diner that I went to was very small, like teeny tiny and you're right up against the waitstaff staff and or the regulars that were there and you know if it was slow you know you could strike up a conversation you know there wasn't this bit you know it was like you're sitting so close to every, each other already like it would be almost weird not to talk to each other mm-hmm. um, because you see each other like every day or you know however many times a week and you know and sometimes it'd be so slow in the morning that you know i would be the one patron there and the you know, I would sit right across from the grill and, you know, because the grill was just behind the counter. So the, you know, the cook would be sitting there. So, you know, you strike up some conversation, you know, have have a little bit and have some intimate time. Then all of a sudden you, you get to through them, you kind of get to know some of the other regular staff. And then, you know, I, I feel like there was a way that I could have built out from that more but i just ended up not because of the limitations of you know what i mentioned before but it seems like building a community is like you have to have these kind of intimate relationships and or for, you know familiar relationships built through intimate experience and then you are able to go out and use that as a springboard for more um you know, more public, more and more just relationships in general.
1: You know where I think I had the closest time to this experience? What? The art theater in Champaign. I feel like that's maybe the one spot where I could have organically created like a community node because, you know, I went all the time because I had my right. pass and a lot of free time. Um and so, you know, one time I ran into an acquaintance from grad school at a screening there and then uh, just in the lobby afterwards, we struck up a conversation, went to Blind Pig, got a few drinks and he ended up becoming one of my one of my best friends in Champagne. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, I think that was helpful to have it sort of organized around uh, central interest, you know, because it would kind of right. attract people who you would have a natural camaraderie with anyway. Yeah. Um, but even, even besides that, there were some people who I would notice would also attend regularly. And um, I'll never forget, uh, we, we saw Ex Machina with a QA with a U of I robotics professor um, who was talking about artificial intelligence. And I made some comment during the Q&A about how robots are already being trained to do more sophisticated, what we would consider creative tasks like composing music and that the Robotic compositions can fool some humans. And this guy who was a regular at the art theater uh, accosted me in the lobby after the screening. He was like, hey, I heard what you said. And anyone who, who believes that a robot can write music doesn't really know music. And I was like, okay, buddy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, but it was good. I actually consider that a positive interaction because... You know, it was it was a way for me to have a conversation with someone who clearly shared some sort of similar interest. But maybe that's the thing is, like, I never saw that guy, you know, outside of that context. There there were no other overlapping circles for us to build any sort of relationship. But like you said, you know, I, I didn't have um, like like an existing intimate relationship with that guy.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, 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 think there is definitely something to regularity in in. Uh, it's like it's like somehow you have to have be able to have that intimate experience with someone, but then also have it like be able to regularly interact with someone or yeah, have that- grounds. To interact.
1: That regularity is like killing me right now. Cause we, our apartment complex is pretty big. There's a lot of people who live here. And I mean, even just like trying to walk my dog, we don't see the same people two days in a row or we go to the gym. And again, there's like a complete stranger yeah. faces all around, or we go to the theater and, and we, you know, we don't recognize anyone. Do you think that it's also, uh, you know, like a, a community size thing? Cause I, I live in a fairly large community at this point. Um, so maybe there's just more things to do more people's attention is divided in more ways versus Galesburg you know or mm-hmm. I guess even Champaign even it's a bigger community than Galesburg um, there's there's just fewer places that kind of have to become more like hubs
0: well yeah like when you live in a big city it's it's easier to be anonymous like just wholesale like you can just blend in and like, you know, you have enough options for things. Like, um, you know, if you wanted to, um, you know, let's say you worked in one area and you wanted to avoid all your coworkers, you could totally just drive further away and go to a gym. That's like further away and not be seen by people. Whereas, you know, in, in smaller towns or communities, um, you have fewer options, but, But it's also interesting because you can see this in like urban environments where there are these neighborhoods. And since people don't have either they they don't have cars or it's either it's harder to travel farther away, they oftentimes end up being, you know, having to stick around in the same community and you end up seeing a lot of the same people. So
1: it's true. I never saw anyone driving around Washington Heights and in the Heights. Well, yes. except for the taxis, but, you know.
0: So, <laughs> like, maybe, you know, there there is some granular level that, like, community has to happen at. And it's, like, some sort of closeness where, you know, maybe in an, uh, in a more rural community that, you know, there are just fewer social spaces. So, you start running into the same people a lot. And then in these very dense urban spaces um you you're just you don't have as much freedom and flexibility to go far so you're ending up seeing a lot of the same people and especially if you're in a poorer community you're definitely not having the resources to go very far um so maybe maybe this like uh, inability to have community is like a hallmark of more of the um, suburban experience. You know? Like, like I went and saw some family members uh, a few weekends ago, and they lived in a suburb of Milwaukee, and it was kind of an affluent, you know, like subdivision. But, like, they lived in this big house and then they had all this land in between them and the house next to them. And it's like, how do you build a sense of community when you've like, when you basically isolate yourself from the other people, Um, you know, I, I don't know all my neighbors. I mean, mostly I would have, you know, gone and introduced myself when I moved in, you know, if it weren't for COVID, but, mm-hmm. but, um, that was happening, but I know my, you know, one neighbor right next to me on the other side of me, there's like a, you know, some shrubbery and all that stuff like dividing. So I don't really know it's the other side of me, but the one neighbor that's, you know, like my house, the, the space between our two houses is like 10 feet, like, and sometimes i see him and you know he's right there and it's hard to ignore someone when you have you know that close proximity yeah um so i feel and and, and um but then also in like the suburban context you know you, everything is driving based so you like drive over to whatever this store is. And then they're in these strip malls, which strip malls are just terrible for community because they're so unwalkable and you, you're you forced to use your car and and just blah, 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 blah. Um, so it, it's just a lot harder to build. I, I, I'm pretty sure in these contexts, harder to build a sense of community than you would in a smaller community or a community that is... You know, is able to be smaller because of limitations of getting away from it.
1: Yeah, I think um, I want to pick up on what you were saying about COVID because I do want to acknowledge that also as as probably a pretty big factor here. Um, because you know, I've been fully vaccinated since mid April, whatever, but stuff hasn't necessarily been open. I haven't necessarily still felt super comfortable going and doing things in public spaces until recently. I I think, you know, I, I work at a school now and it's pretty much as soon as summer started for me, that's when the CDC announced their guidelines that fully vaccinated individuals should more or less be able to return to business as usual without masks, et cetera. And so I've been trying to do more things out in the community. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess given the high population of this area, I, I think I need to give it more time. I, I think that, um, you know, it's tough. I, I really want to be invested in a local community. I want to put down some roots here, uh, you know, politically. I want to care about what's going on in these communities. I want to have friends with local knowledge so that I can understand what's going on. I do have some um, sort of actually people who lived here and and I would became friends with before moving here a good friend of mine from college and also my cousin and then also some some friends who have moved here um, since then but I I, there's there's no one that I really feel like that I've met since I've moved here that has become a strong social tie and that actually is an interesting phenomenon for me I feel like I'm fairly good at at uh, meeting people getting along with people uh, obviously, you know, my, my home community of Galesburg has produced at, at bare minimum, this relationship with Joe <laughs> has lasted into adulthood. Um, and then, you know, several others as well. And, and, uh, so my greatest friends in, in my entire life have been from my undergraduate days. And it's weird, Joe, cause I feel like the year that I lived in Champagne, I made like a fuck ton of very lasting friendships that like proportionate to the time that i spent there is like the most volume mm-hmm. per time i've ever done i don't know there's great people there i love i love champagne um
0: well and then, I think, yeah
1: lately it feels like it's been harder but good
0: well i think it uh he, he, so part of the way people hit this regularity in their community is through work <laughs> um mm. and you know, through being a transplant before and through seeing, um, you know, you know, through the community lens, it makes sense why the kind of professional class of the United States are kind of workaholics. Because if you, um, you know, if you transplant somewhere for a job, What's going to happen is, like, even if you have a spouse or, you know, some, or maybe even know a few people there to begin with, what's most likely going to happen is you don't really have a sense of community. You don't have a community to go to. So where do you look? F- you know, if you do look for it, where do you see it? In your job. And this could also be if you don't have a sense of community. Well, what else are you going to do than work your job? Your job, yeah so it maybe your job provides a sense of community or you just aren't able to find any community so you just work your job a lot and you know if it's paying well then you know (laughs) there's all the more incentive to go and work all those extra hours you know it just makes sense so i think i i think this is you know the kind of the transplant like that that's why they they work a fuck ton of hours i mean geez when i lived in kenosha i didn't have much else to do other than work you know like in my life um so it made sense why they would um bring some kid in fresh off of college to come and just work a job a stupid amount of hours um <laughs> because they can and and, you know, that, you know, it's it, it kind of becomes a chicken or egg thing with community. But, you know, I, you know, um, I mean, you know, work in school. I mean, all my long lasting relationships came from schooling, you know, at a young age where people, you know, co-mingle and form friendships and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I I do have some looser ones from work, but because I mean, now it's like, uh, you know, we live in a similar community. I mean, again, not to go keep bringing it up. But, you know, when I worked in Kenosha, um, you know, the people. Wait, at Joe, my, did
1: you work in Kenosha?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the people who worked at my office, you know, one, I didn't really have a strong sense of community because, I mean, like we were all working different shifts and working long hours. So nobody really had time to. But then also, it wasn't like we all lived within a half mile radius of each other, or even a mile radius. Like one guy I I worked with in Kenosha came from Downers Grove every day, which oh, was gosh. like an hour away. Yeah, and then a a fair number of people came from like twenty to thirty minutes away from you know the workplace. So it nobody like the people working there weren't of the community that the job was at. And so how, how the fuck do you create a sense of community with that going on? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Whereas when I live here in Galesburg, everybody's here, you know, like I, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure there are probably some, I mean, there are people who, who come in from the smaller towns around here but it's not nearly as big of a leap and as isolating as coming from like way out, you know, mm-hmm. from a downer's grove to Kenosha, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's just it, it's suburban life seems like a real tough place to create community.
1: Yeah, so that's that's my challenge and I think another thing is is kind of what I was saying before, I just I want to give it time. I want to actually now that things are open be open myself to trying to establish places that I feel like I belong and meet people who hopefully have some sort of value consensus and see where it goes. Yeah. See where it goes that's
0: another thing it just takes time you know you Mm -hmm. pick up a relationship here you learn someone's name here you know it's bit by bit that you pick it up with and and um yeah just time is a great way to build community um because you're not just gonna like you can't buy the the community starter pack where all of a sudden you have just one day 70 mild acquaintances you know (laughs) you pick it up bit by bit
1: so to bring it full circle that's where i guess the dissonance is for me you can sound the dissonance alarm if you feel compelled yeah exactly thank you um that's the dissonance alarm everyone um Mm -hmm. but yeah so is that we don't see we. I don't think there's a really a good piece of media that shows that sense of building the social community and building the social network. We're always just kind of plopped right into it. Oh, mayor, they went to high school together 25 years ago. Everybody into town, and yeah. uh, you know, in the heights. Oh, they all they all immigrated here and have lived here since they were kids. You know,
0: and so what you're uh, wanting is the film about the transplant who, um you know, uh, over time gets their, you know, gets a f- acquaintance here. Gets their bearings. Maybe yeah. A fr-
1: yeah. 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 This is something that Richard Linklater should look into. Richard, I know you're listening. Um, You know, give me a
0: text. I've definitely seen it in the context of like a family moving, but, but like just, yeah, as for like, like kids. But what about for adults? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and then it would also be like, Well, what's the story like? Because that's that's why I
1: pitch Richard Linklater, because his movies don't need a
0: story. Ah, because, well, as kids, you know, somehow just kids doing things can be its own movie. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, um, but yeah, as adults, I don't know, found found friendship or they beat the bad guy. I don't know. Just some. I don't know. Or they got got a menu item back at Arby's
1: i don't know that's my greatest shame (laughs) i still miss you chocolate turnovers
0: Mm, i miss chocolate
1: (laughs) well you really you really laid it on the line there (laughs) yeah i do still eat chocolate
0: i don't although i have uh with my no sugar thing i have been having uh Honey Nut Cheerios. I, oh, I'm kind of okay. bad. I'm kind of bad. You know, I should probably be just having regular Cheerios. But, you know, all, all you know, Frosted Flakes, in my mind, is a sugar forward cereal, whereas Honey Nut Cheerios. I mean, sugar is just kind of part of it. You know, it's in the background. Yeah. Where I'm totally like. <laughs> you know if i did it by the numbers it would totally be a non-issue but because you know there's sugar and honey cheerios but but oh well oh
1: well oh well well. what do you what what else are we going to talk about
0: well because um i was uninspired this week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um Evan had two topics that he wanted to talk about. So we're going to do Evan topic number 2, um which I believe is rewatching pieces of media.
1: Yeah, so I I just want to kind of th- this one is really um <laughs> undeveloped. So we're we're going to have to hey, do some, hey. some real spitballing, but basically here here's the story that um sparks this. For a long time, I have been a defender of the television program *The Big Bang Theory*. It always gets dunked on as being Ooh. like unfunny and stupid, and you know, not not indicative of the nerd culture that it portends to represent. And I, I, I've long been a defender of it, based on memories that I have watching it as a kid. And when I was in like eighth grade ish is when that show came out and I thought it was fucking funny. And I never really interrogated that until my mom gave me a big box of DVDs that I had left at her house and included in it was season one of the Big Bang Theory on DVD, which I had when I was in eighth grade and I have uh, a TV in my room that's not connected to you know any streaming services it just has a built-in DVD player so I like to just watch like Futurama or whatever I have on DVD sometimes at night before I fall asleep and so I was like all right cool let's uh, let's put in this old big Bang theory and we'll watch this before I go to bed and I made a discovery the Big Bang
0: theory sucks <laughs> <laughs> Evan, I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for you to have this revelation.
1: (laughs) Like, it's just very uh, broad, almost mawkish, very obvious jokes that you can see coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. And... Just like tropes on tropes on tropes. There's I mean, you know, it has its moments. Every professional comedy writer can find a truffle every now and again. But I was just so stunned at legitimately how a new perspective made me realize how terrible this fucking show was. Yeah. And I just wanted to reflect on this kind of experience because I feel like a lot of times. When I like something, I want to watch it again very soon and and kind of get into it. And, you know, people talk about things holding up or not holding up on a rewatch. I find often that whatever, whenever I'm rewatching something that I still remember the plot to, I'm not really actively looking for differences. I'm just sort of finding elements of it that already support whatever my initial... Um, opinion was but I think that rewatching something has a fundamentally different tenor when you have given yourself enough time to sort of forget the plot and forget what about it you specifically liked or disliked you kind of have to come at it with completely fresh eyes and then you realize there is no plausible explanation for Sheldon to act like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, that that's the gist of, of my thoughts. Yeah. Um I rewatched the Big Bang Theory after uh thirteen years and I was like, wow.
0: Yeah um (laughs) um so instead of talking about the the more abstract concept of rewatching things i just want to talk about the big bang theory a little bit (laughs) like so i can see why an eighth grade evan or you know even possibly an eighth grade joe but i was a little more cynical would uh you know someone at at that stage would have liked that because I think it came from a very specific cultural moment where nerd culture was becoming part of the dominant culture. Like, you know, this, this was helped a lot by like superhero Marvel. movies mm-hmm. becoming, you know, popular. Um, but, but before that, there wasn't a like nerd culture was something that was like, like, vilified in like the 90s you know <laughs> or or you know and and you know it came through you know it was like came through the indie scene I'm you know people talk about like uh, uh, Kevin Smith a lot um, you know uh, I I watched this great uh, 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 video, essay by uh, patrick h willems where you know he had kind of a similar thing where he really liked kevin smith growing up and thought he was like this great auteur and then like now in the present day him went back and watched all the kevin smith movies and was just like ah, you know <laughs> clerks oh. isn't good oh no yeah um but but it this happens a lot with well, it you know, let's even just take this to nerd culture where it's something that it was it's historically been a community that was so kind of underground, so hidden and seen as deeply uncool that it became the case that whenever there was a representation of it that wasn't just a fucking nerd, you know, just (laughs) like just saying, fuck you to it. Like whenever there was a representation that held it in any sort of positive light or in a human angle that it was seen by nerds everywhere as like a cornerstone, you know, a, a good representation. So, I mean, this happened with like the Kevin Smith movies where, Now I'm going to talk about them having never seen any of them, but like they would talk about like Star Wars or the characters would talk about nerd shit. And it wasn't like a big focal point, uh, like just to establish their character. It was like something that they were genuinely interested in, you know, it wasn't like, look at this fucking nerd. Or at least it didn't feel like it to them. Whereas now we would maybe see that. So I think that happened with the Big Bang Theory where, you know, coming up and, you know, just also the age that we were at, just seeing like, oh my gosh, you know, this is nerd culture stuff. This is like stuff that I'm into. Like no one says it's cool to, you know, there isn't a whole lot of culture out there saying it's cool to be into physics, but like. Here are these people who are like really into physics, and I I I'm, I am too, you know. But like theoretically. That's the thing
1: is is like to, to push back, at least from a personal level, is like I never cared about comic books and like superhero movies. And I guess maybe at, at the time I would have been more into like the academic nerdy stuff. Yeah. But but like I feel like that wasn't even like uh, representative to me. I just think I thought it was like a
0: really funny show. Well. And <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, but, you know, in some ways you can kind of watch a Big Bang Theory and, you know, you can kind of go along with it and maybe have fun with it. But, uh, you know, once you start watching it for a sec, you realize that there's only one joke in the whole show. They're nerds. Nerds. (laughs) Every joke stems from that. It's not a like they use their information that they know to affect some funny end it's i said this big complicated nerd thing ha fucking nerd 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 saying things what nerd get girl no (laughs) so yeah (laughs)
1: so you know not not to not to pile too much on the big bang theory i i the The critical consensus did improve after that first season and all i have is the first season on d i I don't know there's still an impulse in me to defend it joe i still want to defend it i watched it i still had i still had this feeling but i still want to defend it.
0: yeah man but but to get back to uh, um Rewatching things. I don't know if I have a dramatic story where I re something and my conception of it like completely changed. Um, but man, do I love re-watching things? Um <laughs> You are
1: you are the rewatch king.
0: Yeah. I find like three things and then I rewatch them. Um but it is interesting. Um, I, there's one that I can think of that I, maybe I have something to say a little bit about. Was I was obsessed with the show Making a Murderer. Um, it's a ten part you know series on Netflix. I think they've done a season two of it, but um, they did. Was, it was
1: very unsatisfying.
0: Yeah, it was very well. They made a second season of it but there was no like development yeah, yeah in the case. Yeah. Like like it was all just yeah but there was there was
1: really his really cocky attorney who was like, "Well, this is a slam dunk" and then she would lose in court.
0: Yeah, there there wasn't an end to it if anything. Like I I'm I'm someone who's, you know, I'm way more lenient on media for doing things to help establish that things are going on and building to something but this didn't even build anything so it was like (laughs) what was going on but no the first season was like it was it it was a a smash I mean hell I mean it, it got my attention and it's just funny to kind of watch it now because it came out what like five years ago more than that. Well, six, probably. 20, oh, man. 2020 has already happened. We're another year past <laughs> it. So, like, six or seven years ago, it came out. And it's just interesting to watch because, like, it, it's funny to see the thing, the piece of media that starts a cliche. um, And, like, it feels like that with Making a Murderer. Like, so many like murder documentaries have come out about these big sprawling cases that are complex and making a murderer does it very well, but they also have a very specific way that they do that. And it just feels like it's been copied and done like a dozen times since then. And so the charm kind of wears out and, and I'm also now talking about like true life murder Investigations that are horrible pieces of you know, uh, horrible experiences in the human context, but now I'm talking about them for their entertainment value. Um, yeah, but, yeah,
1: maybe, maybe that's a topic for next week, too. Pulling yeah. that apart,
0: <laughs> yeah, but but it, it is just funny to watch now how it feels like quaint in a way, like, oh, of course, there's gonna be police misconduct. <laughs> they didn't pursue all the leads Aw, there is some mishandled evidence what? we know the
1: tropes of our you know justice system failings by now
0: yeah but <laughs> <laughs> but but it's still horrible when it happens and this was also one of the cases where you know it came to the forefront that there can be these you know specific misgivings you know where. I guess, you know, all the way back to the thin blue line of Errol Morris, you know, we can realize that there are police blind spots and specific misgivings, but I guess those specific misgivings, you know, change over time. So, you know, there wasn't any talk about the DNA and the, you know, there wasn't any talk of DNA back then because just DNA had not been discovered or widely used as a forensic technique. So, so yeah, it's just um, yeah, seeing things from the past or or man, sometimes you ever watch like a a, a kids movie that you, was beloved and then realize that oh this was this was trash.
1: Oh, you know <laughs> what? I had that experience several years ago when I found out that Digimon was on Netflix. I loved Digimon as a kid. I was so into that shit, and then I tried to watch it. And, like, I couldn't get through an episode because I realized, hey, this was made for kids. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, what I mean by that is, like, specific strategies that are designed to retain the attention of a young audience. So, like, a lot of scenes and dialogue that are just straight up repeated because they don't expect the children to be able to follow the story through (laughs) a commercial break. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, that's really bad from a storytelling perspective for someone with, you know, an adult mind that can comprehend more complex stories, but that obviously they felt was necessary for children. And obviously that worked for children because I loved it. But then every once and again, you get, you get something that holds up and that feels good, man. When you're like, oh shit, there's still value and merit to this thing that I loved as a kid. I'm talking about Kablam. Did you ever watch Kablam? Kablam the name sounds familiar oh it was great it was basically like a variety show on nickelodeon the premise was henry and june were our narrators and they were in a comic book and every week they would turn the pages and tell us these stories from these recurring characters like snizz and fondue or action league now um or life with loopy there's a lot of good shows on this one show and there's this sort of hallowed tape at my parents house of a bunch of them that they recorded for us as kids so that we could watch them even when they weren't currently on the air and still every now and again when i'm back at my parents house i bust out that tape and watch it and that is actually a pleasant experience i i don't know why clearly i'm capable of of assessing if something was bad in retrospect but i think kablam is still good it's got just enough like absurdist humor that i think it still appeals to the adult that was watching it now that adult being me i'm an adult
0: (laughs) (laughs) i still like watching thomas the tank engine but but also it's interesting because you know the series has kept going on and has gone through different iterations but um like basically once i got old enough to like not regularly watch it like the series changed up And sometimes I'll go watch some of those episodes and it's like, no. Yeah,
1: I feel like that that's probably kind of sort of similar to my experience with Pokemon. Like there's there's a certain like original Pokemon feel and the franchise has continued to develop in a way that is aesthetically kind of unrecognizable to me and probably to a lot of other people who grew up in that era.
0: Yeah, well, and then just like it's interesting how some of these things as they go on um how they make children's television has changed. Like explain. Uh, 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 hmm. Um it seems like like um so the original Thomas the Tank engine show ran like in the eighties at some point. And I'm pretty sure that's when Pokemon started too. Right. Sometimes Pokemon was nineties, nineties. 90s? Okay. Yep. 90s, well, nineties 90s '80s. Well, regardless between then and like, I don't know, maybe like a 2004, 2005, it was like, we had these shows and they were for kids, but they were for kids because of like the characters and settings and the degree of story points that they were um and that's kind of what made kids stories you know it was like thomas the tank engine oh they're 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 these locomotives with faces on each other and they have simple stories about doing work you know essentially and being you know a good person or or pokemon you know i'm not familiar with pokemon so you know they have these little monsters and the main protagonist is like a child on a quest and they're doing whatever they do you know essentially good good summary of pokemon joe yeah yeah i mean (laughs) do you want to jump in and provide a better summary of pokemon
1: no i don't think it's necessary
0: okay all right (laughs) But, and so those would be children's show on their own, but then also, but then like somewhere in the 2000s, there becomes like the aesthetic of a kid's show where maybe the narrator is in like a hushed voice talking about what's going on or the stories, or are a little bit more, even more dumbed down. Like, it's not like a, it's no longer, here's a show with things that are for kids. It's a, okay, here's a show with things that are for kids, but we're also going to talk to them, like we're the empathetic adult, and we're we're just trying to lead them up. don't want to overwhelm them too much, you know. The the <laughs> shows became helicopter parents. Damn it, that's what happened. I don't know. It, who knows? Maybe I'm way off base, but But that's yeah, at know. least what I I, I, more.
1: I think it'll be tough for me to make sort of an evaluation on that until I have kids, you know, because I, I, I guess I you know, I have a niece uh, and the time i've spent with her she watches like paw patrol or whatever but i don't i don't really pay attention to
0: this.
1: right <laughs> you know like, i don't
0: know well and i'm also I, not, I, I don't
1: have a good take on paw patrol or i guess i'm whatever. just
0: more speaking to the differences in the thomas the tank engine show from the 80s to the present so hmm. yeah well and also like the stuff from the 80s were based on Books. I mean, I know it I know it's like a cliche to be like, oh man, the books, man. But <laughs> but um but they were based on original Railway series by um some guy, Reverend Reverend Aubrey. Topham Hat. <laughs> but um yeah, they were based on something and then they basically made all the episodes of the television show that they could out of the source material. And then they're like, well, we're not letting this cash cow die. And we're <laughs> going to keep going. <laughs> so we're going to make another murderer. Uh, <laughs> making two murderers. <laughs> two murders to make. Man. I I just find it funny how culturally impactful, Like, going from Fast and Furious to going to Too Fast, Too Furious. Like, we're still making jokes about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, man, I, I need to watch the Fast and Furious movies, I think.
1: I don't think you do. I I've know. I've seen the original one. I went back and watched it and I was like, you know what? This is a decent action movie, but I think I'm going to immediately hit diminishing returns if I even go as far as the second
0: one. Well, so I watched again. I watched another video essay by that Patrick H. Willems guy and um, he had, you know, he he seems to think that after like, I don't know, like the fourth or fifth movie, it, like, the series finds what it is. Like, you know, the first one was just kind of a a racy... Vroom, vroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it vroom, was, vroom. Yeah, almost a, uh... <laughs> like a dive into a specific subculture. But then by, like, the seventh or eighth movie, it's, like, about family. <laughs> it's a <laughs> movie about family, so... So it it may be uh, interesting, I don't know, to maybe even just watch a couple or one and then just like, I don't know, be able to be part of the cultural phenomenon that is Fast and Furious. So interesting. if
1: I was going to spend my time investing into watching a, a series, I would just watch the Marvel movies. Yeah. I would yeah. rewatch Doctor Strange and probably still dislike it
0: yeah i never watched it i didn't think it was good what did you dislike about it
1: i just thought that um so let's see if i fucking remember dr strange um i think that the character that the ben- benedict, benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, yeah. Yep the character was a redundant compilation of archetypes that had already been present throughout the marvel cinematic universe i didn't feel that benedict cumberbatch brought enough originality to the role to make up for the fact that his character was an insufferable dickhead um i didn't feel that the way that the elements of the fantastical like the magic and the time stone and whatnot i didn't feel like those were coherent enough for me as a viewer who's not already embroiled in that mythology and um to to be a brief spoiler the climax involves a time paradox and that's pretty much any movie that wants to do a time paradox just pretty much is a rage quit for me so Mm -hmm. um Uh,
0: yeah yeah yeah, so now we can feel superior. So there you go.
1: There's, there's, I think, several principled reasons why I disliked Doctor Strange. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how I was able to articulate that.
0: Yeah. Evan, you need to go quote tweet <laughs> Doctor Strange. All right, going to go fucking attack
1: um, whoever made that movie. Benedict Wong, I, I'm just going to pick him.
0: Yeah, yeah, the actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good place to go. All
1: right, because, yeah. Side yeah. character in that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, do you have anything else to say on uh rewatching things? No, <laughs> okay, yeah, no. Um, I have a little thing I want to bring up. Oh, please, maybe A small yeah. Tangent to a different, uh, slightly different subject since uh, the day of our recording. Um, You know, uh, this will be old hat by the time everybody's listening, but uh, Congress made Juneteenth the newest federal holiday. Um, And I just want to say I am very pro holiday. Holidays (laughs) are good for everybody. If everybody can have them off, we should have more full holidays in the United States. Just more, you know there um a long time ago i listened to some episode of the weeds where they talked about a white paper where it's basically like um what's more valuable to people having more time off or having time off when all the people around you have time off um so it was like you know you would you would it were people happier if they had like three days off but it was the middle of the week Or just the normal two days off, but everyone in their social circle had those two days off. And uh, it turned out people liked it more when they had less time off, but everybody they knew had that same time off.
1: Yeah, I remember that Iglesias cited that in One Billion Americans, and that was like part of a push for like a more robust national holiday system. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, like some countries have like a holiday every month and uh, why not? let's just have a holiday every month where everybody gets off and we can all go and have time and i think a holiday that specifically um celebrates the freeing of the slaves i i i feel like that you know if anything this is the kind of like showing who we are thing and i think that's a good thing to show that we have a holiday for the freeing of the slaves, celebrating, you know, like, if anything, celebrating Juneteenth is not a self-flagellation. It's in a celebration that we can indeed get better, you know? And it's... I, I, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah,
1: but Joe... How about the backlash to the backlash to the things that just begun? Where a lot of people are saying, we didn't ask for Juneteenth to be a holiday. We asked for all these other things, like uh, you know, improving the criminal justice system and da-da-da-da-da.
0: I mean Does Juneteenth being a holiday preclude those from happening? I
1: think it does. Does it? I'm
0: not gonna offer any
1: supporting evidence but i think it does yeah <laughs> no i i think it's a good idea to make this a holiday obviously
0: yeah. i mean i mean th- there comes this line like very
1: low stakes for me but yeah. you know on on the column of good or bad i'll put it in the good column
0: well it, it comes to be that there's this line of criticism anytime uh government sets out to do ends up doing anything is that well? Why not this thing that's also pressing, you know? And there are infinite things to do, and some, you know, there are definitely some things that are more frivolous than others. But you still got to do the frivolous things from time to time. I mean, every does, now and again, like, like it is our society and the things that we do always ultra serious. No, does that mean that we? can just brush aside the serious stuff also no but you know sometimes it's nice to do just the nice things (laughs) and
1: sometimes you just want to pass a resolution in the idaho state legislature that says that napoleon dynamite's a good movie (laughs) that's a
0: true thing that happened oh that's beautiful (laughs) well but like also how often in our current political landscape can you get all hundred senators to get on board on something. Um, not often. <laughs> it passed 100. Oh, they got 100 yays on it. I Well, let's put it. They put it up for a unanimous consent. And oh, nobody okay. made. So, no, OK.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 a good enough approximation. Oh, that's yeah. good. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's how. Uh, and in, then in the House, there were like 14 Republicans who voted against it. And one guy was like. Are we where? Where's the line? We're gonna stop on holidays, and I'm like, I don't know. Let's do more holidays, (laughs) seems pretty good.
1: But you know, contrarian takes, they always got them.
0: Yep, yep, yep. So, I uh hope you guys had a good holiday weekend. Um, if any of our listeners, if you were in, got a last minute holiday out of Juneteenth, let us know. I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, podcast at adequately Uh Send us an email. Um, and then we we will do a little bit of follow up next week on one of our listener mail. Um, um, um. But anyway, yeah, that covers it. Yeah. We'd like to thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. Evan, last words.
1: Yeah, thank you so much uh, for all you do for us. We know that um, you have a very tough time navigating all of your responsibilities, but it means a lot that you continue to support us. Um, I am, of course, speaking to Jeffrey Bezos.
0: Nice. Good for him. Thanks, Jeff, for all you do. And we all know that you have your choice in podcastery, and we are grateful that you choose us. Um, So, anyway, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been...
1: Adequately informed.